Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. everyone. This is Dr. Paula McDonald, and we are in the Exhale Bible Discovery, and today we are going to be in John chapter 4. Well, in the last lesson, we witnessed the visit by Nicodemus, who was taught that the most important Christian message was to be born again. And then we saw John the Baptist give Jesus all the glory rather than to himself. After the events in chapter 3, Jesus now departs to Judea, and in Jesus' day, there were three land divisions of territory. The north was Galilee, south was Judea, and in the middle was called Samaria, currently known today as Palestine. Because of a centuries-old feud between the Jews and the Samaritans, Jews avoided this land at all costs. Often, people went way out of their way when traveling just to avoid the area. And this conflict, you can go all the way back to 2 Kings 17, 24 through 34 and read about this. So Samaria was filled with various religions and heathen gods. They were considered a lost people. And there was also a mixture of those who believed in Yahweh, the God of Moses. And Jesus knew this about them. And so here in verse 4, it says, He had to go through Samaria, which insinuates that Jesus chose to go on this route. So we have this lesson divided into two sections. The first division is called the faith of the Samaritan woman. And this is chapter 4, 1 through 26. Our second division, faith of the disciples, picks up at verse 27 through 54. There is a huge contrast now between this visit of Nicodemus and now of this Samaritan woman. Nicodemus was a highly respected religious leader, and he later openly confessed Christ in John 7:50 and again in 1939. The Samaritan woman was a pagan, and she actually had a very bad reputation in her society. And the Samaritan people in general were despised by the Jews, and they were thought of as unclean. And despite these truths, Jesus saw her differently, and he decided to share some very deep issues with her. The text says that he stops at the well in Sychar, and this well was the same well recorded in Genesis 33, 18-19, given to Joseph by Jacob. This well had a lot of significance. It was a gift, and it provided water that is precious to all of mankind. And the well offered a break for weary travelers. So Jesus initiates this conversation with the woman at the well, and he first asks her for a drink. Well, here's some main points about that. 
First of all, no Jewish rabbi would have ever asked a woman of ill repute for a drink. They weren't even allowed to speak to women in public. Next, Jesus recognized by looking into her heart, her soul needed quenching. It wasn't from physical water. And despite his own physical thirst, he saw her spiritual needs first. And next, the woman replies by recognizing that his status is in contrast to hers. And this had to be a surprise to her. And at the same time, she had to be comforted that here this man who is Jewish would actually speak to her and ask her for something. And then next, Jesus then begins to reveal himself to this woman. And he explains that he is the living water that she needs. And if she knew the gift of God, whom was truly asking her for the water, he would give her this water. It would be a gift. And so she then responds that she has nothing in which to draw the water. And so where could this living water be obtained? Was he greater than Jacob, she asks? And with this last question, this woman obviously had some knowledge of the significance of Jacob and this well. And therefore, it showed that she had somewhere in her life received some teachings about the Jewish traditions. And so Jesus begins teaching her the difference between this earthly physical water, and the spiritual water that he talks of. Well, earthly water only quenches us for a time. And as humans, we continually need to go back to the well, don't we? And Jesus tells her, his water will cause her to never thirst again. And this meant that if she turned to Jesus, his source of water, her soul would be quenched. And she could then experience her deepest longing of a thirst for love and acceptance, peace and joy. And Jesus knew at the time he was visiting with her, these were the deepest regrets in her heart. She was lost and searching for these things that only he could give her. And so then she replies with, Sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty. She immediately knows that she needs whatever he's offering. She didn't question it. She just knew and in full faith asked him for this gift. And so now Jesus leads her into the conviction of her heart and for her to confess her sin. He tells her, go and call your husband. And this is the first step in convicting her of her sinful ways. And she responds truthfully that she doesn't have a husband. And Jesus goes further by adding, well, actually, she's had five husbands, and the one she's living with now is not her husband. And Jesus has just revealed an intimate and embarrassing situation that she's fully aware of. And then she recognizes he's not condemning her. Rather, he's really offering to help her. In response to this, the woman makes two statements. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. 
and she didn't try to defend her actions. She simply accepted his truth, knowing he could see into her heart, and she accepted that. And then she says, our fathers worshipped you. And again, she's obviously got some historical knowledge of Jewish traditions. And Jesus replies with three main points. One, prophecy. Pointing to a time when all could worship God regardless of a temple sacrifice and a priest, there would come a time when the temple is within the heart of those who believe in Christ and indwell with the Holy Spirit. We all are a temple now that we have Christ within us. The next point was divine authority. And Jesus tells her that they, the Samaritans, they're worshiping the wrong God. What do they know? Tells her the salvation is from the Jews or from Jesus. And true worship, his third point regards what true worship is, and that is to worship in truth and in spirit. The Holy Spirit allows believers to worship with a sincere heart, obedience, and understanding God's revelation of what truth really means. And so this final comment by this woman is about the Messiah and that he is coming and will explain everything to the people. And it's almost as if, fully convinced of the identity of Jesus, she needed just a tiny bit more confirmation. And then Jesus responds very clearly of stating, I am he. What an amazing revelation she received in person by the Messiah himself. What a beautiful story that this woman, an unlikely scarred woman who was a Samaritan, and Jesus chose her of all people to share who he was to this woman. That is an amazing thing, and I just think it's so often overlooked in Scripture. Well, let's continue on with the story, and now we're in the part two, where we're going to talk about the faith now of the disciples. The disciples return, and they are surprised to find Jesus speaking to this woman, and they trusted that what Jesus was doing was what he was supposed to be doing, without question. And the woman, having just received this living water from Jesus, well, guess what she does? She simply leaves her water jar at the well and hurries back to her village to tell others about her encounter. She was so filled with the Holy Spirit, she could not hold back her excitement. What an example for us. We need to go back and be more like her. And the disciples, well, they're concerned with Jesus's physical needs and encourage him to eat. And he tells them he has the food he needs. And he says, I am doing my father's work and this is what sustains me. And haven't all of us felt that way? If you're really involved in the Lord's work, it just fills you up like nothing else. Well, that's how Jesus was right now. So in their confusion, the disciples questioned if perhaps he had already received food from someone else. And so they missed the point of his last statement, that Jesus was filled through the delight of his father. And he goes on to tell them that the secret of a satisfied life 
is that he was there to do his father's work and to finish this work, and also that there was a lot more work to be done yet. So in relation to the analogy of a harvest, Jesus is telling them not to wait on the harvest and that the time is now to share his good news. And he was also telling them the others had already gone before them to pave the way for Jesus. And the message is to continue paving the way for others. So the woman's testimony paved the way for more to hear about Jesus. And the people in her village recognized an amazing change in her. And she spoke with power and zeal of the Holy Spirit and as a new, fresh believer. She was enthusiastic about Christ. And because of this, others wanted to also seek him out. Jesus ended up staying another two days because the people saw this and they came to him and begged him to stay. They sought, they asked, and they listened. And this was actually the first large group of people to receive salvation through Christ that is recorded in our Bible. All through an unlikely woman at the well. Well, then Jesus returns to Galilee after two days are up, and now he's back in Cana, the city of the wine miracle. And the royal official who'd come to Jesus had a sick son, and now he is asking Jesus to heal him. And he comes to Jesus when he heard that he was in town. This man was actually part of the royal court of Herod. And Jesus responds, by somewhat of a curious remark, he says, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. And Jesus wasn't just addressing the royal official, but also to all who do not believe. Jesus was not being unsympathetic to this man. His desire was to stoke a deeper understanding of what it means to have true faith. The father was obviously desperate to seek help, and he knew inherently that Jesus was the right person to do this. And he implores Jesus to come to his home before his child dies. And Jesus responds by requiring the man to have obedient faith in him. And he tells him by telling him, go home, go, that his son is alive and is well. The man took Jesus at his word, and he exhibited obedient faith right then and there. And when he did arrive at home, he discovered the boy was healed at the exact time Jesus told him that he was fine. The father believed Jesus without seeing that his son was healed. And now that is true faith. And so here we have two amazing examples of true faith. The woman at the well who took Jesus at his word. She didn't ask for any miracles. And then the second one was the soldier who took Jesus at his word and believed. And that's the beauty of faith, you guys. And so what do we do with this lesson? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, first, can you relate to the Samaritan woman whose heart was unsatisfied with the condition that she was in? And are you seeking something different and deeper in your own life? Secondly, have you been 
so excited like the woman at the well to tell others about Jesus that you dropped everything to do so? And if not, when are you going to get that zeal back in your life for Jesus? Three, do you come to God expectantly as the man with the sick child did? And four, do you exhibit obedient faith even though you cannot see the outcome? That's a hard one, but that's what faith is. And then five, who in your life is ripe for the harvest of knowing God? Will you be the one to share Jesus with them? So let's go to prayer. Father, thank you so much for your book of John and chapter four, again, loaded with amazing life lessons for us. May we be like the woman at the well, excited to tell others about you and that we also have the deep and abiding faith of the soldier to believe that you will do what you say you will do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.